Welcome to the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast, where it's all about, you guessed it, grant writing and funding made easy so you can increase capacity, grow funding, and advance your nonprofit or freelance mission. Now, let's hand it over to your host, grants expert and author Holly Rustic, so you can increase your funding and drive impact. Hello, hello, hello. It's Holly Rustic here with Grant Writing and Funding, and welcome to the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast Show. Um, I'm here to help you grow capacity, increase funding, and to advance impact. All right, guys, so we are talking about nonprofits this month, um, and we're talking about a lot of different things, but one of the things we are looking at is the Nonprofit Startup Academy. Um, we're going to do a sneak peek, myself, uh, Dr. Beverly Browning, and I. Um, she is the author of Grant Writing for Dummies, and she, we also had her on the podcast last week, so definitely check that out. Um, but we're also going to be looking at that again today, so we're going to be going into more depth with Dr. Beverly Browning. I always love having her on the show. We're definitely having her come back as a repeat, so I love this uh, replay that we have today as well. Um, so it's a lot of fun. We're going to be talking more about strategic planning. We have board of directors. We have all different kinds of great um, things in the nonprofit startup academy. So that's basically, you're like, what is that? It's basically something uh, Dr. Bev and I co-created and it shows you, it gives you all templates. It gives you samples. It gives you so many resources on how to actually start a nonprofit organization. So we include things of how to actually select your best uh, board of directors, also how to remove board of directors, um, et cetera, write your articles, write your bylaws, all of the things that you need to submit for your uh, all of your documents for your tax exempt status. Um, we also talk about here's how you do your strategic planning. Here is how you do um, your branding. Here's how you actually look at your diversity of funding, etc. So I'm actually going to be doing a replay today uh, for when I had Dr. Bev on the show before, um, one of the highest listened to podcasts. So you can kind of hear that. And um, it's just another teaser as well. But if you want to join us live, we are going live on this week, July 13th. So if you want to check that out, go to grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 179 for all of today's show notes as well and you can definitely see the link there so you can register to our live we're doing a mini training so definitely jump on that we did we did this before in December and people loved it so we wanted to bring it back um, and do another live training as well as a sneak peek and answer any of your questions so if you want to join us go ahead and jump over to grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 179 for all that information and I hope you enjoy today's episode all right I'll see you soon nonprofit that's just starting up look for money yeah. well should it be we're going to get a grant and that's going to help us pay all the bills and I'm going to be able to quit my job and draw a paycheck right away. Or, oh, funders will just flock to us once we do a press release or a public service announcement on our new nonprofit. Well, don't hold your breath. The bucket's going to be empty. See, nothing's coming out. This is called the bucket of discouragement hope and putting too many balls in one place or too many thoughts in one place. So how do you get started? Well, first of all, seed money. Seed money comes from your board, special events uh, like fundraisers, um, anything that you can do to bring in dollars. It can be a ticketed event 
or it can actually be a GoFundMe as part of your startup funding to do that. You can also have a website that has your products or services. Maybe one of your board members is really good in making clay items like um, coffee mugs that are personalized or they buy them in like by the, let's say, gross, and they're all plain white. And because they're artistic, they can paint on different designs and names and customize them. And they donate that as their share of the give or get policy that your board's going to have. We talked about that in an earlier podcast. Mm -hmm. um, and because of that, now you have something that you can actually sell for $3.99, $5.99, on your website. Yes, you have to have a website. So the funding stream isn't going to flow until these things are in order. You're branded. You absolutely have a website. You have social media awareness. And guess what? Your nonprofit has a profile listed on GuideStar, G-U-I-D-E-S-T-A-R.org. It's called Candid by, I think it's called Candid by GuideStar now. Yeah, they, they merged. Yeah, but yeah, you can but definitely find it at GuideStar.org. Yeah, if they, if they can't find you there, you're not getting money. Also, let me just step back a little bit. I need to tell you about the calls I get from people who tell me that I have a nonprofit. I've had it for two years. We're ready to look for grants. Can you send me a copy of your IRS tax exempt letter? Um, well, we're just a nonprofit in the state of Alabama, and we filed it with our corporate commission, and we're going to use that. I mean, we don't need a 501c3. We're not going to ask for money outside the state of Alabama. Well, hey, you do need a 501c3 because mm -hmm. these potential funders, corporate sponsors, foundations, they can't legally award a grant to your organization if you're not tax exempt. Otherwise, yeah. their own status as a 501c3 charitable foundation is at risk when they give money to a non-tax exempt entity. Mm -hmm. So you absolutely have to have that IRS letter to talk about money, 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 literally. Mm -hmm. So the funding stream starts at home with yeah. your board, your family, your friends, anyone that can donate and contribute to you. But before they contribute, they need to know that they're going to be able to claim it as a contribution on their tax return for themselves individually or as a business. And if you don't have that IRS 501c3 tax exempt letter, they don't have a write-off for a legal contribution. So all kinds of dominoes will fall if you're not ready for the money to come in. So first layer, the money comes from family, friends, people who believe in you and want to help you get started. And no, you cannot pay them back from the first grant award when that finally comes in a couple of years down yeah, the road. It's not a loan. <laughs> That's right. It doesn't work that way. It's not that kind of an investment. It's a mm. contribution. In addition to that, your board has to be able to help bring money in. Who do they know? Who are they connected to? So when you have 12 people on your board and all 12 people are living at or below the federal poverty level, are they really going to know movers and shakers and money makers and people who can actually give money to the organization? Mm -hmm. Not likely because their little tribe of people that they know 
they're all in the same boat. They're yeah. all trying to make their lives better. And every penny is being used for surviving and, mm -hmm. and living and paying the bills. There's nothing extra. So you need uh, a large range of other people on the board. And the big picture, mm -hmm. there isn't like, now I have a board, we're going to get money. Or now I have a strategic plan we're going to get money. Mm -hmm. It's not like that. There are so many pieces. So the funding stream is going to start out slow mm -hmm. and it's going to build progressively until you are grant ready. And we have a whole nother session that we're going to plan and carry out mm -hmm. on grant readiness, mm -hmm. but there is a grant readiness demeanor or look that your organization has to possess. I love that. And I, I love like starting off with that investment, right? And having that diversity. I, I remember when I was looking into the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and I was like, oh, and you know what I always like to do and I love to do this on GuideStars. I also like to find foundations on GuideStar and, and look at their 990s and see who's on their board of directors and where they're giving money, et cetera. And I was like, ooh, Warren Buffett's on board. <laughs> It's like, wouldn't that be a nice person to have on your board? Like, it is important to have like people that are connected and resourceful on your board. And I love that you said that, like, if you're all in that same, you know, level, maybe poverty level, even you're all on the board, you have passion, but if you don't have connections to money or understand, you know, how to do a fundraiser or all of those things, it's really hard to get the funding that's needed. So having, different matrix of people come on your board and to bring those skills. And, you know, maybe they're not, you know, you have some that are really connected to um, bringing in money um, and have, you know, their company behind them. Just recently, one of the nonprofits I was a part of. Um, and, you know, it was really great because one of the board members, she has a, uh, she works for a big corporation and she had them really help with a fundraiser. A lot of the people, she was able to get a lot of people involved. And those are the types of people you really want to have on your board and that are special, right? That can bring in different partnerships and leverage different relationships. Um, and that's really important. The other thing to consider with that, I think, too, is like for myself, I'll, I'm only on like one or maybe two boards a year, right? Like if I'm going to serve, like I don't overextend myself because then I'm not, then I'm going to go to the one corporation, you know, the corporations that I know and have relationships with that I just like, here, who do you want to find this year? You know, that's not very effective, like which nonprofit. So it is good to, you know, to really limit that and to know what kind of energy you're going to bring into that. And to also maybe you say, well, that person's on five boards, so they'll be great on mine. They might not be, right? Just because they're connected, you still need to look at that and say, well, are they going to be completely committed to this nonprofit, right? To bring in that funding. So I think that's really good. But I, I like that you pointed that out because it is important to have a diversity of people and skills um, that can really bring it to your nonprofit. So Absolutely. how else, yeah, how else do you feel like people, um, you know, the money, 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 like, okay, I know we touched on this um, last week, but it was also one of those myths as far as, oh, we're well, going to start a nonprofit and we're going to have a million dollars in the first year. Do you just want to kind of touch on that again? Because I think that's just, it's just something that's brought up again and again, that it's important. to like, Absolutely. <laughs> Unless you've got a million dollars to put into your own nonprofit, or you happen to run across uh, a board member that is a millionaire that needs a tax write-off, which is not likely, mm -hmm. um, then and in reality, then you really have to look at board members that can connect you with money. You need to have a template that your board members fill out 
Where do they work? Where did they work? Because did you know that if you still have working board members and they work for larger companies in your locale, that those companies could have employee matching giving programs mm -hmm. where if an employee donates $1,000 to your nonprofit, they take that contribution receipt back from your 501c3 nonprofit and give it to their employer who routes it to the right division and they match that with a $1,000 check to your nonprofit. That's why it's important not to have a board of all retirees or yeah. all work entry level people who are like 17 or 18 years old yeah. that don't have a long track record in the workforce. You wanna have a variety of ages, a variety of professions mm -hmm. and think about, okay, what are the large corporations in our town? I'm not talking about government employees or school districts because they right. don't have the employee matching fund monies. Mm -hmm. These are from companies. And I don't want to name any companies on the podcast for fear mm -hmm. of violation of using them as a name. Mm -hmm. But let's just say one starts with an X, but sounds like a Z. <laughs> and with that, <laughs> they They're are in every town. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of eliminate what that might be. <laughs> They might have a corporate giving program where if an employee gives dollars, then they give dollars also. So think about that. And another good place to look for money is called the Combined Federated Campaign. And it's run through United Way of America. And if you go to their local regional meetings when they have them to learn how to apply online, become a part of that, when the United Way campaign is rolled out to government employees, and we're talking about federal, state, local, everybody, and they choose who they're going to have dollars uh, taken out of their paycheck weekly mm -hmm. or monthly toward their United Way pledge with their employer, then your organization's name will appear there. And if you've been doing branding, which we will talk about in our next podcast, mm -hmm. then they'll know you exist and they can check off right next to your name to donate that $25 per paycheck or $5 per paycheck, or depending on what level they are in employment, maybe $100 per paycheck. Mm -hmm. And you add that up over the course of one year, and that does begin to put dollars on a trickle that come into your organization just from pledges, yeah. literally. So you're gonna crawl when it comes to money mm -hmm. before you get up and run. You're not gonna be running until likely the end of year two. Mm -hmm. And another warning that goes back to our board training podcast, two people do not constitute a board of directors. That's right, that's right. <laughs> you gotta have a certain number of people, guys. <laughs> No, exactly. I love that. Yeah, and I love that. There's there's uh, ways, and the more you can look into this ver variety, and I know you're going to be talking about that a lot in the Nonprofit Startup Academy as far as, you know, having diversity of funding is super important. So yes, we are both grant writers. We've both been writing grants. We teach other people how to write grants, but that is not the only funding stream that we advocate for, right? So it's important to have a healthy, um, you know, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket and, you know, grants are fantastic, but they're going to fund certain programs. They might not fund the entire nonprofit, right? So you need to make sure you have a healthy mix. So I like what you talked about as far as even creating products, right, for that seed money. Um, 
creating services. And I, I love it when I see nonprofits, they also have like a thrift store or a coffee shop, or, you know, they have counselors that also they charge scales, you know, uh, fees that are scaled or something. So there is some kind of investment that they can offer, maybe not directly to their beneficiaries, but to the larger community um, to get some kind of funding. Is that something you really advocate for as far as those products and services? And um, maybe what are some other examples that people could use? I do. And I like nonprofits developing those products and services when they have the resources to do it and the licensing if they're doing right. like mental health counseling or something like that. Um, but another possible idea for nonprofits to come up with startup money is to actually hold monthly fundraisers. Mm. Um, I know of a small church and I read about them and they're in the South and every Saturday they break out their barbecue grills and the women of the church get into the little commercial kitchen and they make all the side dishes and people come from all around to buy their barbecue plates. Some families walk out of there oh, nice. with eight 10 plates of barbecue mm -hmm. and they typically will get a lot of the side dishes donated because they make a corporate request mm. to some of the big box stores like the warehouse stores mm -hmm. and so they get donations where okay you can have $250 worth of you know packaged uh, potato salad or coleslaw or baked beans or you can have $250 worth of sliced bread or mm -hmm. bacon serve rolls so they get everything donated and then every person out there working in this event on Saturday is a volunteer right. from the church pastor all the way down to the members of the church and people in the community that just mm -hmm. come to help start the fire stoke the fire put on the wood all of that and it doesn't sound like a lot because they're located down some long dirt country road. It's not like they're out by a freeway where right. people drive by can see the smoke and the signage up and their little signs that's close to the ground. You can only mm -hmm. see it they get to the building, mm -hmm. but they're raising about a thousand dollars every Saturday. Oh, that's that so good. Back into the church and the programs that they carry out in the community. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. I mean, that's four grand a month, you know, that adds up. That's, that's, <laughs> that's good money, you know? So if you look at it, think, how do we raise over 40,000 in a year? Like it adds up, right? That's something that's totally, I imagine like during the holidays, they probably do something a little bit, you know, raise even more or whatever, you know, there's, um, they do something a lot that here a lot on Guam is, um, a lot of the nonprofits they'll do, uh, they'll do plates as well, but they'll deliver it. So they do pre-orders and then deliver it to people at work. Yeah. So it's really fun. So the whole work, you know, gets involved with who wants to order the plate and then you don't have to go out for lunch and it, you're knowing you're contributing to a nonprofit. So, so Which many creative nice. ways. Yeah. Yeah. And I love yeah, that. Just bring it back to your nonprofit though, develop your, you don't have to do the, you know, the whole thing that everybody else is doing, but at the same time, some of those things do work, right? So figure out what really jives and makes sense for your nonprofit. One of the nonprofits I was working with, I was talking about them in our last um, podcast was a conservation nonprofit. And one of the things they had developed was um, a Manta Ray necklace, 
right? So that was something that they found was really, they could, um, you know, get it developed. They had a local artist doing it. And so they were also helping them, but they were able to, um, you know, make some money that way. And that could even be a part of tying back into your crowdfunder, right? So mm -hmm. another way to develop money, like you talked about was crowdfunding. And a lot of people, they want to be able to, crowdfunding is interesting, right? Because you want to donate, you want to get individual donors to donate towards your, um, your cause, whatever you're trying to raise money for. So that's seed money. But in crowdfunding, usually there's a return, right? So it's uh, also a give back in some ways. And some ways that for them to do that was if you give over $50, you also get one of these necklaces, right? So it was something that they could give back. Um, so you can definitely do that as part. And sometimes it's not something that's uh, tangible, maybe. Maybe it's a thank you card. It's an e-card online that costs your nonprofit nothing, but it's some type of give back. So I always say when you're doing a crowdfunding, think of, you know, if people give this much, you can give them an e-card up to $25 a month, maybe. If it's, oh, you know, $50, maybe you're going to give them a um, snail mail card, <laughs> you know what I mean, like about your nonprofit. So, you know, and the, the more they give, the more kind of investment you might give back to them in some ways. So it's a good way of, once again, building relationship through a crowdfunder, right, and building relationship through your individual donors. And as we're kind of talking about individual donors, and we've talked a bit about corporate, like you're talking about going to the bigger companies and there's ways for matching. As we're getting into end of year here, there's a lot of individual donor end of year kind of campaigns going on. Can you kind of talk about those a little bit? Yes, definitely. Um, especially, I can give you a personal example. Um, I just talked to my accountant this morning and she said, you're going to have to contribute 5% of money on hand for your foundation to charities and get back charitable donation receipts because the new IRS laws for private operating foundations now require that you give away 5% of your assets annually. They can't just be oh, wow. held forever or invested. Mm -hmm. And so I was familiar with two nonprofit organizations and it was easy to decide who to give to. And I actually gave more than 5%. Um, I gave 10% of okay. you know the, the foundation monies. But if you're not known and people don't know you exist or you haven't been in social media doing a lot of you know, talking and, and joining groups and even belonging. Your nonprofit can join the Better Business Bureau. Your nonprofit can adjo join the state association of nonprofits as well, where you get your name in a directory and people know about you. And across the country here, we have a 211 system mm -hmm. where it's a 211 directory that lists nonprofit organizations and all the services they provide. And it helps you know who you want to donate to. You can read about why they were founded. You can look at their website. So you want to get into the 211 directory listing for your state as well. Those are all ways to make yourself visible. And I can't think of the name of the, the website now, but I ran across it the other day. Mm -hmm. And if you profile your nonprofit on that website, people who want to give can go there and look at the different nonprofits that have profiles and decide who they want to give to and click directly through to actually give through their website. So that means that you really do need a presence in a website. You need to have a click or donate here type of button on it 
Um, and you just really need to get out there. It's every dollar counts. This time of year, dollars are going to families and children in need mm -hmm. and to first line healthcare providers, people who are working with our COVID patients. Mm -hmm. There's so much that's going out there to do things for them. And nonprofits are even changing their goals. And instead of giving away, let's say, a thousand food boxes, they are actually now giving away a thousand cases of PPEs or personal protective yeah. equipment mm -hmm. to nursing homes mm -hmm. and assisted living facilities. So things will change. And you need to know that the givers, the funders, the priorities don't always stay the same every year. So yeah. if you are lucky enough to go to a funder and get your first grant, it doesn't mean that the same priority will right. be there next year when you apply. They could have completely shifted and now they're only funding charter schools or right. K-12 public school districts. So it's about doing the research in order to create a funding stream to identify it. Holly and I and other consultants, we also do grant funding research for our clients to help identify potential funders that they can then start to reach out and introduce themselves to. So there are just so many ways to start the money stream. But just saying you're starting a nonprofit is not going to bring money in the door. You're going to have an empty bucket until you have a presence, a plan, mm -hmm. and your board has perfected making the ask to potential contributors. Yes, I love that. So, and it, and it is important, like you said, that diversity, like I love, you know, you need the plan and what does the plan consist of? Like if it's, it's going after so many grants, doing the research first, right? To find out how many grants are even, you know, competitive for a good fit um, and then also the fundraisers, how many fundraisers are you going to do? And that's really going to depend on what your goals are and what your manpower is, what your resources are, all of that. Like the example you gave that was wonderful about the church doing the barbecue plates, right? Well, certainly they have a lot of manpower and volunteers to do that. But if they didn't, they probably wouldn't be doing that once a week, right? So it's like, once again, you have to tap into those resources and that goes into your strategic planning, how everything's been integrated in this podcast series, right? So, um, but then to also look at what other types of funding. So we, we have our fundraisers. Is it really close to these federal grants we write every year? And is it going to be the same development directors who are doing both of those? Is that even going to be doable, right? So it's really looking at sometimes picking out how that's really going to work. And I love integrating a crowdfunding campaign. Um, I love integrating the individual donations um, and individual donors and then corporate solicitations. Like how is everything connected and are you burning out your partners, right? Are you gonna be able to, one of the shifts I've seen, I don't know if you um, do this a lot and I see the pros and cons of it, but it's an annual sponsorship that you can bring to corporations, right? So in that way, you're not coming back to them three or four times a year with the different fundraisers asking for money again. And you just present it, you say, these are all the things, and then you give them a higher status. So you might be asking for more money, but you're saying you're going to be an annual sponsor. And, you know, this is what we're going to give you in return, you know, put your name on the things, the logo on the things, all of the, you know, the things that you can do for them. And then that way too, they can put it into their budget, you know, and, and know that they can divvy it out that way. They're going to give to you quarterly then, or they're going to give you it in one go, but they can plan for it. Do you kind of see more of that annual sponsorship happening? 
Yes, I just saw a really successful annual sponsorship program fund a lot of revenue for a local nonprofit that had to move from land-based events in three cities here in Arizona to doing a statewide virtual event. And they depended on their annual sponsors Mm -hmm. to help support that production and to help bring those dollars in. But what happened this year because of COVID, Mm -hmm. those sponsors had to say that this year, we can't give the 25,000 that we have been giving you every year. We're going to have to reduce that to 15,000. Mm-hmm. Well, no one's going to say, oh, we can't take this cut. Um, you right. know, 15,000 is better than zero. Yes. Literally. Mm-hmm. And also just a warning for these new nonprofits, when you are actually looking at what a potential like community foundation gives grants for and their grant making range, and let's say it's from 5,000 all the way up to 150,000, if you're the new nonprofit on the block, you don't go in asking for the maximum grant award Mm -hmm. amount. It's Mm -hmm. baby steps, really tiny baby steps asking for 2,500 this year, increasing to 5,000 at the next grant cycle, maybe going up to 7,500, 10,000. And after a few years, we finally make it to that top category. But guess why we've made it there? Because we've had good data collections. Mm -hmm. We've actually kept numbers on who we served, what zip codes, what ethnicity, what gender, the high service level days, how we service them. Did we service them, you know, multiple times over several dates throughout a year? Mm-hmm. Or did they just come in one time? All of that information that you are starting to see populate as a new nonprofit when you are serving individuals or animals, you need to track because you need that to get money. Mm-hmm. What if you go to someone and they'll say, oh, an individual donor, I'm really wanting to invest in your nonprofit and I have 10,000. It's the end of my tax year and I need this as a write-off. Can you give me a copy of all of your statistics and data on who you served, where they were, what kind of service you provided, the costs per client for services, and also a copy of your annual operating budget for this year as well as a projected budget for next year, because I want to see what percent of what I give is going to go to over overhead, not yeah. direct services, actually serving people. And if you form your nonprofit only for the purpose of paying yourself and your brother and your sister and your mom and your cousin a check every month, it's going to come through in a way over to- over the top overhead percentage. Yeah. And that's going to close the door on anyone giving you funding that has to be accountable for where they invest their money. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's really good to look at. Even just having all of those things in place is going to help you on any reports that you do. So if it's applying for grants, if it's, you know, putting it on your website to get individual donors, if it's, you know, looking out to your corporate, because they're going to ask you too, well, what's the impact, you know, on corporations are going to say, what's the impact that you have in the community? They're going to want to know all those things so they know where their dollars are actually going. Um, so that's very important to make it clear. And I love that you're talking about, you know, know, um, as far as grants, grants being a part of that funding, right? So looking at it, starting up small. So that's what I always say too, is I always like to say, um, 
funding sources, what they need to know to give you money, right, is can you manage money and can you implement projects, right? So they want to know what that result's going to be and they want to know if you can do it. So in a lot of people, they ask me, they say, but Holly, it's like a catch-22. It's like, I can't apply for a grant and get it awarded if I haven't received a grant. So how do I even get that first grant to kind of get that momentum going? And I say, well, that's not necessarily true. Yes, it does help once you win more grants, you're going to be more competitive and there is going to be momentum going. Absolutely. But what you can do, I said, once again, goes back to that can you manage money and can you implement projects so even if you're getting donors like if you're getting donations if you're getting in kind if you have volunteers if you're able to implement projects and manage value then you can also show that to kind of help but once again don't go like i like how you said don't go over the the cap the hundred and fifty thousand on your first grant right you might start with those smaller community foundation grants maybe that 2500 from that 5k or whatever you know so and that's the other thing you can also um, be able to show that you can manage money by doing the fundraisers right and you can showcase those when you're applying for grants well these are the things that we've done so um, that really can help build the momentum of getting grant monies so um, definitely those are some great opportunities for where the money is right and how to get it so we looked at today um, so far we've looked at grants we've looked at individual donors we've looked at corporate giving um, we've looked at corporate sponsorships crowdfunding um, and, and doing regular fundraising so these are all and products and services so these are all different ways that you can get funding for your nonprofit. So really looking at what's the larger vision? How does it make sense? How can we schedule it out for a year so we don't burn out everybody doing everything and anything, but be very strategic in the different things that we want to accomplish in the year, right? Is there any kind of, um, can you kind of uh, touch on anything else uh, on that topic as far as the money and maybe being strategic on, on because there's so many different ways. Like <laughs> what's maybe the best format to kind of start with? Well, in our reality, when you look at the revenue pie and where your money's coming from, no more, no more than 20% of your annual revenue should come from grants. And when you're preparing next year's operating budget, do not plug in the amount of dollars that you received in grants this year. You cannot guarantee yeah. that those grants will come back to you <clears throat> or that you'll find replacement funders. So don't make the mistake of doing that. It's better to have grants as a, as a surprise, a pop-up mm -hmm. revenue than to be out there. And I know some nonprofits that are 100% reliance on grants. Oh, yeah. Me too. Yeah. Um, the minute a grant doesn't come through, HR is meeting with the executive director to see who can be laid off, yeah. who can be cut back. Um, how can we you know, save money on our operating expenses? You don't wanna create problems by living off of grants. You have to have mm -hmm. multiple streams of revenue. And a part of that money, money, money goes back to the board. Mm -hmm. The board should be sitting down with you from day one to talk about how you're going to create an endowment fund a fund that's invested with your local community foundation that has a higher interest bearing because it's commingled with other dollars that they're also holding in multiple other endowments. And you have the interest checks that can come in to your organization. You can never touch the principal. That's the whole idea. The interest is what you get checks or transfers on and you and the board 
you the founder and the board, decide if those interest checks are going to be restricted revenues or general operating revenues to help keep the lights on and pay the bills. So the first order is to have the board members that can actually sit on the board and say, okay, let's have an endowment. I can commit 5,000 over the first year. And then the next one says, okay, I can commit 5,000 and I work for an employer that has matching funds. So that's mm -hmm. another 5,000. So your job, executive director, founder, is to meet with the local community foundation to find out how much money they need in order to open up an endowment fund in the name of your nonprofit. Because guess what? There are foundations out there in your region, in your state, locally, that actually award grants to go be deposited into your endowment fund at the community foundation. That is a strong statement when they wanna match what your board already put in there That's to help good. build the endowment fund balance higher mm -hmm. to give you a greater return on the interest. Mm -hmm. So there's just so many things out there for you to learn as new nonprofits. Mm -hmm. And you can't just learn those one step at a time or in any one book. You mm -hmm. honestly need our four-week nonprofit startup mm -hmm. academy in January, the 7th, the 14th, the 21st, and the 28th. Holly's going to have a lot of promotion out there on it, and you'll mm -hmm. have a link. But get everything up front and do it right in the beginning yeah. so you don't become a statistic of a nonprofit who never files a Form 990 mm -hmm. or a 990N, and then eventually, guess what? you lose your 501c3 tax exempt status. Right, right, which that's awful, you know, so you don't want that to happen after all the work you put into it, right? So these are great. So thank you so much, Dr. Beth, for touching more on the money, money, money in this podcast. Um, and I know you guys got a lot out of it. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed this replay with Dr. Beverly Browning. And I hope that you enjoy or join us on July 13th for a live uh, mini training on how to start up a nonprofit as well as a sneak peek to the Nonprofit Startup Academy and to answer any of your live questions. So Dr. Beverly Browning, author of Grant Ready for Dummies, as well as a million other things. She's absolutely amazing. Um, and myself will be doing this live training on July 13th. So sign up, grantreadingandfunding.com forward slash one.